I wonder if we could just round off this Sanctify series that we've been working through with a final session. Thus far, we've focused mainly on what it is to be sanctified, to be set apart for God's purposes. Um, and to be able to say yes to God, to be, learn to trust God, to be able to move forward in friendship with God, and to be, to be called into a different kind of life, and to, to trust in Him, and to keep putting one foot in front of the other. But there's the other side of sanctification. The, the flip side of saying yes to God is also saying no to some other stuff, right? It's the holiness side. We are set apart for His purposes, but we're also set apart for His pleasure. Amen? So this Josiah story is quite useful for that. It shows how somebody was absolutely serious and radical about being set apart for God's purposes, but also set apart for God's pleasure. He really wanted to, to, to live his life and lead his nation in a way that brought pleasure to God and didn't just offend God on every step. So we need to let some of the things that displease God drop away as we move forward in our journey of sanctification. So, Josiah, we begin in the story with him busily uh, upgrading the temple. He's doing what he feels is right before God, of improving the temple. And as he's, they're doing so, as they're having a clear out and they're sorting things out, they find the book of the law. So this is the law of Moses, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's the words of God laying out before the people how he wants the people to live. And when they, he discovers this incredible book and it's read to him for the very first time, he suddenly gets the kind of relationship that God is calling for and the things that break his heart. And he suddenly realizes that the whole nation is way off what God has in mind. And that there are things that are carrying on in the nation under his leadership that are an abomination to the Lord. If we are going to live pleasing to God, we absolutely need the word. We absolutely need to, the word. We need to constantly come back and measure what is right, what is wrong, what is a delight to God, what is displeasing to God. We need to measure it by the word of God. Without the word of God, we will do exactly what Josiah did. And that is to carry on with good intentions in our hearts, but not understanding what God's best is, and not knowing how to make those radical changes in our lives to be pleasing to Him. We will just make it up as we go along, and there'll be certain things that we will just turn a blind eye to because we don't have the Word within us. I love what He does. As soon as He understands that He's been unconsciously doing all sorts of things that are offensive to God, and he wants to know how to put it right. He does the most wonderful thing. Before doing anything, before having any kind of knee-jerk reaction, he goes to inquire of the Lord. He goes to get honest before God and say, God, we now understand what your word says about our lives. Now what must we do? So he goes to see a prophetess, or he sends his envoys to see a prophetess, but he also talks it through with the scribes. He talks it through with the, with the priesthood. He goes to the temple to inquire of the Lord. 
And actually, there's something that we need to learn from, I think. Sometimes it's not just about knowing what's right and wrong and trying to do our best. There is something in between where actually when we have discovered that there's part of our lives that is not in step with Scripture, to come honestly before God and have some interaction with God about it. It's so powerful when we can take the, the things that are out of kilter with God to Him as part of our covenant relationship. It says this, Go to the temple and speak to the Lord for me, and for the, pe- for the people, and for all Judah. Inquire about the words written in this scroll that has been found, for the Lord's great anger is burning against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words of this scroll. We've not been doing everything it says that we must do. That's 2 Kings 22 verse 13. Don't you just love that? How much more effective would we be at throwing off sin and selfishness and addiction if as soon as we understood we were off track, we always came and inquired of the Lord in prayer and to, to look for his response and his empowering and his word before we just try and fix it. To trust him to be gracious rather than just kind of hiding from God and trying to fix it before we approach him. Another thing I find fascinating here is how long it took him to understand what was an abomination to God, about the, the, his ability to live in the land, and he just couldn't intuitively understand that so much that was going on was wrong. And some of it was really, really wrong. You know, there were temple prostitutes in the temple of God at this time, and he, it, it hadn't twigged. Even though he was a devout man, wanting to please the Lord, he, he hadn't had that revelation that that could be displeasing to God. Because it was part of the norm. It was part of the culture. No word had told him otherwise. So he didn't always intuitively get it right. And it was, he was 26 by the time this word was found. Isn't that incredible? He lived all of his young adult life as king. And it was only at this point that he had an opportunity to make the reforms. There were things that he did and lived amongst that broke God's heart and he didn't even think to question them. They were just part of the culture. And I think we live in a faster moving and more complex culture than he did. Where there is more going on swirling around our culture than he had to deal with. I think we have many more influences competing for a space in our culture. And I think we are just as capable of accommodating offensive practices as he was without even thinking about it. So we need the Bible. We need the Word to highlight those things if we're going to live a sanctified life for his purposes and his pleasure. So, once Josiah understands that his nation has been compromising for decades and dabbling in all sorts of spiritually unclean and dangerous things, he begins to make some strong choices. He seeks to remove anything that has a connection with the occult or Eastern spirituality. That was the issue in his day. In his day, it was bar worship in the temple. And it was retreat centers uh, in the high places and Asherah poles with, with the, all the prostitution that goes along with it. And he was the only king, as far as I know, after David, that went for a total clear out. All the other kings of Israel and Judah either embraced 
all the occult practices in Eastern religions and promoted them and led their people astray, or they tolerated a little bit left over. They just didn't bother clearing out the high places, or they didn't bother cutting down the Asherah poles, or they just let a little bit going on in the temple. He's the only one in all the kings of Israel and Judah that just said, let's do it God's way, and decided to have a total clear out. So after this period of meditating on the word and inquiring of the Lord, there is this moment when Josiah, the true leader, gathers the people before him in the temple and he shares the revelation he's had and he gains their understanding and support and there is then this long pregnant pause and then it's like, what are we waiting for? Let's get to work. And they start dragging these idols out of the temple. They start doing the work. It says this, great verse. Then... The king commanded Hilkiah the priest and the priests of the second order and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal and the Asherah and for all, of, and all, for all the host of heaven and he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields. The host of heaven is where they worship the stars and the moon. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields, in the fields of the Kidron Valley and he carried their ashes to Bethel. He doesn't just talk about it. He doesn't just appreciate there are things that God hates and God loves. He does something about it. He gets seriously practical. He knows these things uh, that he is removing have two great powers. Number one, they offend God. And number two, they deceive the people. And I want to think about that just for a few minutes. We have a responsibility to live in such a way that not just that it honours God, but also that it protects the people we live amongst. We have a responsibility for our culture as well as our worship. Does that make sense? We need, to, we need to think about things that are damaging our society. And there are things that you can do and there are things that you can read, there are things that you can be involved with, there are things that you can watch and take part in that you may feel that you can handle without compromising your faith, but others who are not as strong in the word as you are may be being damaged by them. Does that make sense? I could give you loads of examples. I've decided to take two really contentious ones. So here's some great areas. Yoga. Ooh. Okay. Yoga, massive spectrum. I've done a lot of research on this. I did a dissertation uh, which led me to understand a lot of the spectrum of yoga. Now yoga, there is a huge spectrum right from the purely sport and relaxation end right down to the seriously spiritually charged complete religion end. Okay? And everything in between. It's a grey area. Some it's whiter, some it's blacker. It's just like this complete spectrum. We need to be careful with things like this. I'm not just picking just on yoga, I'm using it as an example. We need to be careful. We need to acknowledge that yoga has played a part in masses of people opening their lives to Eastern spiritualities and walking away from the Lord. That's just a fact. It's one of those door openers. Those who do yoga, make sure it's at the sport and relaxation end. And do some sessions prayerfully asking God what he feels about it. Because at the end of the day, it's not about pleasing ourselves and what we like to do. It's about him. We want to live for him. And if we sense in our spirits that there is something that jars against who he is or what his agenda is, we need to be 
listening to that. If there are elements of the session that you're not sure about, get out of there and live for his pleasure. Another great area, Harry Potter. <laughs> Steady. This, I don't want to cause a church split. Uh, there is a spectrum of opinion about the series. In my view, the way the books start, quite gentle, and it's all about Harry's experience of self-discovery, and then they get darker and more occultic as the books move on. For me, that's a problem. This is the covers of the first and the last book. First book could be Enid Blyton. Last book is something I would never pick up on the shelf, not even for a long-haul flight. I don't want to upset anyone. We might feel, well, I like the storyline, and I can read it and enjoy it, without, enjoy it without it affecting my spirit. Sure. But what about a whole generation of kids that have immersed themselves in this stuff and have never heard the gospel? That I find difficult, especially when it's on the syllabus in our schools. I challenged that once in one of my kids' primary schools when it was compulsory reading. I said, this is a C of E school. I see this as a gateway book to uh, actually an unhealthy series. I want you to change the curriculum, and they did. Um, What about God? What about his thoughts on it? I'm never going to be the one to start advocating burning books. I've heard it said that as soon as you start burning books, it's not long before they start burning people. And I, there's something about that. We don't control what each other does or reads or whatever. But we want to be a reflective people, don't we? And we want to take responsibility, responsibility not just for our own minds and hearts and spirits, but for our culture. And promote the things that are going to lead people into truth and health and wholeness. So I'm not going to encourage you to burn any books. I might encourage you to recycle a few. Maybe have a look along your shelves. There are a few books and films that offend God and confuse nations. When anyone has asked me what I think about the Harry Potter series, I just say, don't touch them with a barge pole. Live radically and for his pleasure. So... We have the word to help us filter our choices. We have wise, widespread cultural impact to help us filter our choices. Finally, last point, we have the presence of God. 2 Kings 22 verse 2 says this. Josiah did right in the sight of the Lord. And walked in all the ways of his father David. Nor did he turn aside to the right or to the left. Whatever we do, the best way to filter your choices to be a pleasure to God is to be aware of his presence. It's really difficult to sin against God when you're with him. Something about the presence of Jesus that empowers us to choose what is right and helps us to see clearly what is right. So whatever you're watching, watch it with Jesus. Whatever you're reading, read it with Jesus. Whatever you're involved with, be involved with it, with Jesus, with your ears and your spirit open to the Lord. And it's amazing how the Holy Spirit would just prick your conscience. I mean, I've watched things on Netflix and Amazon Prime that seemed really good, and then three quarters of the way through you know, one of the episodes, something visceral has hit me. There's suddenly been an escalation of the violence, and it's suddenly like, bang, in your face. And I'm like, whoa, that just hit me quite hard. 
And I just sense the Holy Spirit saying, should we just find something else? And you've got, you've got split seconds to choose, haven't you? Otherwise, you're watching the whole series. You're hooked. And these are the decisions we need to make. It can be with anything. It can be with how we treat one another in business. It can be about being honest in the workplace. It can be about what we watch. It can be about what we practice. It can be anything. But I want to encourage you all, whatever we do, do it with Him. It's the best advice I can give for living a holy life. Do your life with Jesus. You can't keep shouting at your kids or lying to your colleagues or snorting your drugs if you are shouting, lying and snorting with Jesus. There is something about his presence that always empowers to choose his pleasure over ours. And in return, we find peace and joy and a clean conscience. The sanctified life, I believe, is one of, it is the most wonderful life there is. Let's live free from the things that will rob us of God's best. Amen?